You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Some big news related to the NFL draft came out yesterday. And it is relevant to the Packers in some meaningful ways and relative to how we think about the draft in meaningful ways. On Monday, Roger Goodell announced that the NFL draft would be held largely virtually. And that means facilities will be closed and therefore not open because that's what closed means. They will not be open to teams to even hold some sort of social distancing friendly draft war room situation. Now, whether or not teams are able to find ways around this, you know, the Saints said they were going to hold it at some brewery. That is, you know, they have a conference room somewhere and they're away from people and it's off premises. So it does follows all the rules, whatever. This all is going to be different for teams. They're not going to be in their normal place of business. And so how does that impact your ability to draft? And there's already been some reported complaining from teams who are saying, oh, you know, maybe the time limits should be altered, the lag, you know, our ability to have conversations with our staff and make calls for trades, all of this stuff could provide complicating factors when it comes to trying to make the best picks possible. The Packers in this way, have an advantage over some other teams. This is going to be a draft where having a GM who has a background as a scout will be an enormous benefit. Or where a GM who maybe doesn't have that scouting background, someone like Howie Roseman, but they have someone with that background that they lean heavily on to make these decisions. When you have a clear top person who gets to make those calls. And I think that part of it is important. So if you are Brian Gutekunst and you made your bones in the front office as someone who grinds tape, who evaluates prospects, and who correctly identifies talent, then you having the last word here makes it easier to streamline the process for your draft room. So you're not worrying about what 16 other people are having to say. If you're someone who lacks that background, maybe you're listening to the scouts, you're listening to the coaches, you're listening to your analytics people, and you you have a more convoluted process. Even on normal days with the draft, that might not be the best way to go about it, but you might have time to do that. Now, 
you got to worry about people talking over each other on a Zoom conference call or you have to worry about trying to go back and forth on a trade. And this just complicates the process more than it would normally be complicated. And this is like a head coach who has a background on one side of the ball or the other. It, it, it is something that has come up often. You know, it came up, for example, two off seasons ago when the Packers were looking for coaches. And, oh, could someone like Dave Taub, who is famously one of the best coaches in the league, but is a special teams coach. The, the reason that teams like to have an offensive or a defensive coach as the head coach is because if there is a problem on that side of the ball, the head coach is the failsafe. And if there's a problem on the other side of the ball, that head coach can go in and say, hey, look, here's what I'm thinking. Here's how I would attack you doing this. Whereas if you have a special teams coach, maybe you don't have the same sort of X's and O's acumen or whatever it is. You don't have the same sort of level of experience or gravitas to go into that room and have that conversation. Your special teams coaches, I don't want to you know, undermine the intelligence that you need, the football acumen, all that stuff. It's just different. It's a different skill set. So, you know, Howie Roseman may be great at pegging values and putting together contracts and identifying people, and he, he may be hiring the right people in his, in his front office. But if a decision needs to be made and the chain of command is convoluted by this draft process, how is he going to make that decision? Now, someone like Howie Roseman... Look, he's smart enough to figure this out, and I don't think they're going to have a problem. But other organizations may not be the same. So how does that team get around it? So for the Packers, you have someone like Brian Gutekinds, and you have a front office that has been in place for a long time. They have scouts that they trust. And this is a team that has deployed scouts that has a robust number of scouts. They watch tape together. They go through this process together. And that, along with everything else, can pay dividends for the Packers in an abnormal situation like this is. Not every team does that. And, you know, you, you if you all sit in a room, you have someone who studied the player, who does the research on the player. And they've talked to the coaches. They've talked to the teammates. They've talked to the families. That's what you pay scouts for. But then everyone sits in the room and watches the tape. And that is so, number one, everyone sees it. And number two, so that if you are a scout in another region, let's say you are, you know, the Southwest scout or whatever it is, you may think, oh, this receiver that I watched is the best one in the class. But then you are sitting there and you're watching Jerry Judy or you're watching Justin Jefferson and you're going, damn, maybe CeeDee Lamb isn't the best guy in this draft. Now, I think CeeDee Lamb is the best guy in the draft, but it, it gives you better perspective. And now everyone has that information to make these decisions. So when you have a robust scouting apparatus and not every team does, some teams lean more on their coaches who come in later in the process, who come in more at the combine. And some teams have coaches who have much louder voices in that room. I mean, if you're the Texans, not that they have any picks anyway, but if you're the Texans and you are Bill O'Brien, 
You haven't been watching these guys since August. You haven't been reading the draft. I mean, you've been reading the draft reports, but you didn't go through the process. You didn't talk to to the the coaches and the family. You haven't you haven't grinded the tape on 50 receiver prospects. You don't have time as coach and GM to do all of that. You don't have time to watch 500 guys. So you have to lean a little bit more on your scouts. Well, teams that have these clear lines of delineation are able to make these distinctions. Now, that's not to say that those teams don't get strong input from their coaches because, you know, we'd heard under Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy and his staff got say. We've we've heard that, you know, that, that Matt LaFleur and his staff is going to have a say in not just free agents but draft picks. That's something that that the Packers are going to have to figure out. You know, we had, we had they had one draft that way with those guys, with these coaches, and now this is going to be year two. It's not like they have all kinds of cohesion. So teams with more experience, coach and GM, they may have an advantage over Green Bay. So while Green Bay has certain institutional efficiencies that they have because of the long-term relationships that they have in that front office – and the well-established process that they go through, that process does not need to be significantly interrupted based on what has gone on over the last few weeks, except for in-person interviews and things like that. But a team like the Saints, for example, where you have a coach and a GM who have been working together for a lot longer, they have a better relationship in these moments. Even Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson, although they didn't always get along, they had an established rapport Ted Thompson understood the kinds of players Mike McCarthy wanted. And so they were able to come to agreement in a different kind of way than a team that that is just getting to know each other, front office and coaching staff. Now, whether or not Ted Thompson acted on that knowledge is certainly a separate question, and you'd, you'd probably have to get Mike McCarthy on a lie detector for him to give you an answer there, at least an accurate, truthful answer. But there are there are positive and negatives for this for the Packers. A team with a strong scouting staff, which, which the Packers have, and a GM with a scouting background, someone who has proven he has an eye for talent, both in free agency and the draft, that kind of GM is an advantage. Now, you could just boil it down to having a good GM is an advantage, but again, Howie Roseman is a good GM. There are guys around the league, GMs, who are really more money guys. They're more you know, cap guys, guys who are making these calls. And there are some good GMs who are you know, kind of you know, more administrators. They're, they're delegators. They're going to have to do what they normally do, and that is decide who to listen to in these moments. But if the time frame is compressed, maybe that's a marginal advantage that Green Bay can take advantage of. And then you add in the injuries. I mean, all of these injuries, people are not going to get medical rechecks. These interviews, people are not going to are not going to get to meet these guys. And so you have to lean more on your scouting staff. You have to lean more on your evaluators, your personnel people. That's not going to make every team as comfortable as it would the Packers who already do it. So, again, there are some disadvantages for Green Bay relative to other teams, but there are also going to be some advantages for other teams. One thing we talked about earlier in the offseason when this first came out, and this was full free agency mode, was 
the fact that the Rams were reportedly interested in trading Brandon Cooks. And then there was the reports, oh, no, 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 if we're just kidding. Of course, we're not trying to trade Brandon Cooks. Why would we try and trade Brandon Cooks? Well, the thing about it is, as Shokopedia points out for The Athletic, that when teams insist they are not trading a player, but the reports are they're interested in trading a player, you can be sure they are trying to trade that player. And what Shell suggests is that Green Bay makes a trade with Brandon Cooks for a fourth-round pick in the 2020 draft and a future conditional pick. We have now reached the point in Brandon Cooks' trade speculation season where it is fully in the no-brainer zone for the Packers, assuming they have some level of assurances that Cooks is going to check out medically. So let's put that part of it aside. The contract is workable. In 2020, it's only $8 million because Green Bay doesn't have to pay these bonuses. They've been paid out. Now, those numbers go up in 2021 and beyond, but Green Bay can fit those numbers under the cap. They'd have to do some restructuring to make the 2020 number work. It would take more than just releasing Lane Taylor unless they wanted to go into the season with a low emergency fund you know they need to pay guys if they go on injured reserve you don't just get to stop paying them if you sign someone else you got to pay that guy and they count on the salary cap too so this is something that green bay is going to have to be aware of you you absorb eight million on the cap and suddenly you have to make some sacrifices other places do they restructure Corey lindsley do they extend david bakhtiari and give him you know a smaller cap hit in 2020 but a, a greater value over the course of the life of his contract do they restructure Devontae Adams to lower that number in 2020? Do they get a deal done with Kenny Clark that potentially lowers his 2020 cap hit? All of these things are in play. Now, the problem for them is they don't have access to the medicals. So if the Rams want to trade Brandon Cooks, given the amount of money that he is owed, it's a reasonable contract. They've already paid a lot of this money. So if they're getting rid of him at a figure that is really not great for them in 2020 and beyond, they're just trying to get rid of his number in the future and, and the salary in the short term so that they can add someone on the roster for the long term. That would be the idea. That is a potential red flag for any team trading for Brandon Cooks. Is he so damaged? Because we don't think he's a problem as an attitude player. We don't think he's a headache. We don't think he is out here saying, I need the ball, 160 targets a season. We don't have any indication that that's going on. Maybe it is. And maybe a team should be concerned that it is if the Rams really are willing to trade him for a fourth-round pick, which was the proposed parameters of this draft in the Athletic. Now, whether or not that's actually realistic is certainly another question, but clearly if they're trying to get off this money and they're trying to get off this long-term contract, they want to move on. And, and we know they want to move money. I said earlier in the offseason that a three was an easy call and a two was probably worth it. So if this is a four and a future pick, you know, Emmanuel Sanders was traded for a deal like that, a four and a future pick, 
And Brandon Cooks, by the way, is better than Emmanuel Sanders, younger than Emmanuel Sanders. The question is about his health, the concussions. Is he going to be able to play on the life of that contract? Is he going to is he at risk in 2020? And unfortunately, we don't have good answers there, and the Packers are not going to have answers there. No team is. And it is unlikely that that the Packers or any team will get answers to those questions before the draft takes place because these travel restrictions are not going to be lifted in all likelihood. And the risks right now are still high of travel. So Brandon Cooks, unless he is going to you know, get in an Uber or he's going to have someone drive him to Green Bay to have a physical, it seems unlikely that there is a situation where the Packers medical staff is going to get a chance to check him out. So does the price tag get to a place where you can build in that risk? And is it that fourth round pick? And if it is, again, I think that's a reasonable risk. Fourth round pick, you can get a nice player in the fourth round. You cannot get Brandon Cooks in the fourth round in all likelihood. You're talking about all-time outlier if you can get a guy that good. Is Brandon Cooks a future Hall of Famer? No. Is he an all-pro? No. Is he a borderline Pro Bowl player? Yeah. Is he easily the second best receiver on your team if you're the Packers? Yeah. You can do a deal like that. And you can do it with minimal damage to your salary cap long term. And you get someone who's better than Robbie Anderson at less money. Imagine that. That's a deal worth doing. And as a a Twitter follower of mine pointed out yesterday, you know, the Packers have been in a position to do these kinds of deals before and not done them. The famous one obviously being Randy Moss. And now that's an old regime. That's not Brian Gutekunst. If they can get Brandon Cooks for that pick, you know, assuming the medical staff is not saying this is absolutely crazy, you do it. Now, I think the reason that it is that low is because there is this unknown. And it's not like a free agent contract. You know, Bashad Breland was infamous for having his contract essentially voided by his physical because he didn't pass it because he had this weird foot infection. Didn't pass his physical, ends up on the street as a free agent. Packers sign him for peanuts when he'd signed a nice deal with the Panthers. He was going to get three years, 24. He's not going to get 24 million total the rest of his career. It's not like that. Because if the Packers trade a fourth round pick in 2020 and then the Rams use that fourth round pick, there's no undo. You can't say, oops, sorry, our doctors didn't clear him or our doctors have major concerns. We don't want to do this trade anymore. Can't do that. And he's under contract. Now, guaranteed money would be a a non-factor. You could have him on the roster for 2020, cut him, and it's not a problem. But you're still giving up assets to pay a player whose medicals you haven't seen to come be a part of your roster. And what makes that part even more complicated, aside from all of the the convoluted medical stuff, you're planning like you have Brandon Cooks. So if you trade a fourth for Brandon Cooks, that changes the way you're going to draft. Because now all of a sudden you've got Devontae Adams, Brandon Cooks, Devin Funches, Alan Lazard. That's a really nice receiving group. Now you've got diverse skill sets. 
You've got different kinds of players. You've got a guy who can take the top off the defense. Now, maybe you look at receiver, you can find one, three, four, five. And it's not as big a deal. And so you can go offensive tackle early. You can go defensive line. You can go cornerback. You can look at these different positions because the the value is different. If Brandon Cooks is healthy on his contract, for the life of his contract, he's a bargain. And you have him with Devontae Adams, who's also under contract for the next two years, someone you're probably going to pay long-term. Now you've got two legit playmakers, and suddenly that need comes down. The projected role, we talk all the time about impact. Who can impact your team the most? Who can maximally improve your team? Well, if you have Devontae Adams and Brandon Cooks, and you sign Devin Funches and you have Alan Lazard, who is going to be that player that comes in and steals snaps? What is a receiver three worth in a Matt LaFleur offense where the majority of snaps you're only playing two? Now, you can never have too many playmakers, but you still don't have a future offensive tackle on the right side. You still don't really have an ideal complement to Kenny Clark. You still don't have long-term answers in the secondary at corner. You don't have a third safety to play that hybrid role. You don't have a running back of the future. You don't know that you have a tight end of the future. So it alters the way that you view your team. So if you're going to trade for him, you almost just have to say, here's a fourth-round pick. We're willing to risk a fourth-round pick. We're not going to change anything about the way we plan our team because we don't know if he can play this year. And maybe that's doomsday, but it's not out of the question that you you get you, you get him in there and your doctors say, mm, I don't know. We're really concerned. There's a non-zero chance that happens. I mean, there's a reason the Rams are trying to trade this guy. And that throws off your whole system. So the the value of compensation has to be related to that. And is it even worth it if you can't get a chance to see him? before this trade is consummated, and it doesn't look like that's going to be possible. So it really puts the Packers in a difficult position. If all it takes is a fourth and a future conditional pick, it almost doesn't matter what that conditional pick is because if you're if you're willing to give the conditional pick up, you almost don't care because if, if you are willing to give up the pick, you think he's going to be good enough to materially impact your season and, and change the trajectory of your offense. So you, you don't really worry about that. But that changes so much for your draft without seeing him. You know, the, the reward is huge, but the risk is immense. And so we're really at the point. I mean, truly, is a fourth-round pick enough? And even if it, it is enough of a compensation in terms of the price coming down, because, you know, if this were a normal offseason, you'd get more than a four for Brandon Cooks, no question. But we are at the point where the risk really is so great that a fourth and a future pick is still a risk for a very good, very young player because we have so much uncertainty around this offseason. All right, the Ringers, Danny Kelly coming up tomorrow to talk NFL draft. That's going to be our focus for the next few weeks, and we'll see where the league is in the next few weeks. You know, it, it seems like there's some good signs out there uh, that doesn't mean that we should go out and be stupid. It doesn't mean that that you know we overreacted. It means that what we're doing right now is working. And if we want this to be over faster, we should be doing more. We should be trying to stay inside, 
there's still way too many photos of people out there just like hanging out at parks and going to the beach. Don't do that. Don't do that. We all want to be outside. We all want to be together. We all want to have life as normal. But in order to get there, we have to protect each other. And you may think that you're immune. Number one, you're not. We have enough evidence now that says that that that's not a thing. And we need to protect the people around us. So be a person for others. Protect all of the people in Cheesehead Nation. Even protect the Bears and Vikings fans. I know that that is not in your nature potentially. But let's let's live for the people around us just as much as we're living for ourselves. The NFL, you know, look, we don't we don't know what's going on. We don't the facilities are going to be closed indefinitely. It sounds like there will be no offseason activities at least until we get to training camp. So that that matters too for the draft. That that could potentially impact how players and teams are selecting these players, how players are viewed by these teams. Can they contribute in 2020 with no offseason? And maybe that's a faulty view. I would argue that's a faulty view because most rookies are bad. And so worrying about if they can play in 2020 is is really not that important to me. But I know a lot of fans feel differently. So I understand that too. We're going to be back tomorrow uh, and a lot more coming later in the week. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.